Lord, we come before you and ask you just to guide us and meet us as we look at this chapter today and have us see what you'd have us to see and help us to understand what it is you're, you're wanting us to see from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 13, one of the most well-known and yet least understood probably of any of the chapters in Revelation. And so we're going to start out in verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw the beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads and, and ten horns, and on its horns were ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of, a, of the bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And we're going to just stop there because there's a lot to try to figure out <laughs> from just this. Uh, John says, I, I stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise out of the sea. For the, for the Jewish people, the sea always represented Gentiles. It was a place they did not <coughs> deal with. They didn't have much sea on their, on their property. The sea was not something they, they were not famous. They're not famous for any seagoing ex expeditions. We do know that they did some work on the seas, but the seas represent Gentiles. So we're seeing the beast coming out of the Gentile nation is what most commentators will believe of this, that the beast will be Gentile, not Jewish, which as he tries to pretend to be the Messiah gives him great problems because the Messiah has to be of the line of David <laughs> and be Jewish. So we're going to see great, great ways that Satan is trying to make himself look to be the Messiah and out of, of all of this. And it says it has seven heads and ten horns. And so we're going to look at this a little bit. We want to go back just real quick to Daniel chapter 2. Because Daniel is quite a corollary for a lot of what we're going to be looking at today. Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse... No, we'll start at verse uh, 31 when I get to chapter 2. You, O king, saw a great image. This great image with brightness was excellent, stood upon before you, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. And you saw till that a stone was cut out of it without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them into pieces. And then we're going to drop down a little bit here uh, to verse 41. And whereas thou saw the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron the kingdom shall be divided there and it shall be in it a strength of iron for as much as you saw the iron mixed with miry clay and the toes and the feet were part iron and part clay so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken okay so this is the last image of the throne of the of the that Nebuchadnezzar saw and if you remember the this was the Babylon was the head of gold uh, the Medo-Persian Empire was the silver, uh, the bronze was, was the Greeks, the, feet of, uh, the legs and, and feet of iron was Rome, and if you know your history, Rome was divided into two parts which represent the legs at the end, the, the uh, Byzantine Empire and the Roman Empire, and then it was further broken down into <coughs> ten distinct countries. Okay, and so the Roman Empire 
still exist technically to this day, the Holy Roman Empire. And it still exists to this day. It's had leaders all through the medieval, medieval times. So we, and it has been reconstituted, reconstituted in the recent years. Uh, there are 10 members of the European Union that are the members and the rest are associate. And, but there are 10 members of, the, of it. And those, and those members are uh, Belgium, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, and the UK. And the UK is the only one that really wasn't part of the original Roman Empire, though the southern part was part of the empire. So all those countries are, were the Roman Empire and still are. And if you want to look at it in another way, the, the countries of the Roman Empire was uh, Italy, France, Switzerland, the German Empire, which included all of the Prussian and all of that, uh, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, uh, the Romanian Empire, Turkey, Bulgaria, Netherlands, and the Serbian area. Okay, so if you take those in larger groups, you still have <laughs> 10 that are still in existence. So we don't know exactly what those 10 are going to be, but Daniel tells us that that empire was was broken up and the toes weren't, none of the image was taken out until Jesus, the rock came and crushed it all. Okay, so here we have Satan rising up, showing the 10 being countries. There's also, there's an also, there's people that have brought out that the UN has divided the world into 10 regions. So it could be very well coming out of the UN saying, here's the power of the 10, 10 regions. So we don't know exactly what this is referring to. I tend to believe that it is the Roman Empire being restored. But I'm not going to argue with the whole idea of the world being divided into 10. It's kind of interesting in and of itself. Yeah. Um, so we just want to look at that 10 nations are, are going to be there, the, the crowns. And it says that it has seven heads. And this is a little more problematic. Uh, it appears by most commentators will believe that these are the different countries and rulers that have ruled over a period of time. And some of them will say that it's the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, Greece, uh, the Ottoman Empire, Assyria, Egypt, and Rome. Okay, ten, ten leaders. Um, some will say that it is the actual big leaders of the world, uh, people like Charlemagne is listed in this, uh, Constantine, Justinia, Machiavelli, Napoleon, uh, Adolf Hitler. Uh, that gets more speculative because how do you pick out the leaders that, <laughs> that, that lead up to that? Yeah, you know, uh, who, who do you consider? I mean, Hitler and Napoleon pretty much are great leaders of, that, of empires. So I don't know. Uh, one, one thing says it could possibly be the G7 leaders of the world because <laughs> uh, that's, again, our current leaders that have broken out into seven leaders that are supposed to be the, the heads of the, the world, which would be Great Britain, Italy, Canada, the United States, France, uh, France uh, Germany, and Japan. Uh, take your pick. I'm not going to get too strict on this. I kind of think it might be great leaders over the, over the years, but I'm not going to sit there and try to pick out which leaders. <laughs> are that and then the Satan rises up as the, the seventh 
seventh leader. Uh, a lot of that is all speculation. Take it as you want on, on how that, you know, what the seven represents. But it's obviously seven kings, whether they're seven leaders reigning at that time or seven leaders over history. Either way, it's the same same thing. I'm not too big on this idea that it was seven dynasties or countries because that's too much like the crowns. Uh, so we look at that and it says, on his head was the name of blasphemy. Now blasphemy is anything that is said against God uh, to bring down God's name, to defile it, to, to criticize it, blasphemies or slander, you know, distractions, uh, reproachful speech, injurious to God, that kind of stuff. And this leader has on his head that, <laughs> that situation. And verse 2 says, And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard. His feet were the feet of a bear, and the mouth was the mouth of the lion. And the dragon gave him power and his seat and great authority. And this goes back to the dragon from chapter 10. <laughs> that came up and tried to destroy Israel. And again, we see these animals, and again, we're gonna go back real quick to Daniel, except in this case, we're gonna go to Daniel 7. And verse three, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another, again, sea representing the Gentile nations. The first was like a lion, it had eagle's wings, and I beheld till the wings therefore were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and the man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, was likened to a bear. It raised itself up on the side and had three ribs in its mouth and each of its teeth, and it devoured much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which was upon the back of the four wings of a fowl, and the beast of also the head, also four heads, and dominion was given to it. And then he saw a terrible, terrible beast that he doesn't really describe. So we see here the same animals listed in <laughs> Revelation. And in Daniel, they're very clearly, the lion represents Babylon, which was their ensign was a lion, and it was the way they were described. Uh, the bear was the Medo-Persian Empire, and again, their ensign was the bear, and, and it had three ribs, and there's all kinds of different pictures in here of how it had three powers. And uh, then Greece was represented as the leopard. It was quick, it was ferocious. And then it had this beast that he didn't describe, which and this one looks to be the dragon. <laughs> Again, the Roman Empire coming, <laughs> coming up. And so we see the pictures, and this is why we want to know that we need to know a little bit about Daniel to be able to fully understand uh, Revelation, because Daniel's explained. <laughs> Daniel's explained very clearly to us. We pretty much know what Daniel's talking about in most of his, his prophecies, because they're already most of them are already fulfilled. And so we see here those, the and it says the dragon gave this new beast his power, his seat of authority, and great authority. Okay, so the dragon had the authority. Remember that dragon was the one that tried, we know was Satan, it, it tried to kill the, kill the Messiah, tried to kill the woman, tried to go after the, the people. And when the beast comes up, he gives them the authority. 
And so this beast we know is Satan, but he's Satan given Satan authority. There's a lot there's a lot here where Satan in this chapter is trying to make himself appear as God and Jesus. And we're gonna see this as we go flowing through here. He's trying to do things that make himself appear to be the Messiah, make, make himself appear. So this beast is given all authority. And then we look, go into verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? All right, so we see it says one of his heads, and this is one of the reasons people think it's a set of, set of kings rather than seven kings, but it's whoever's in the head one. If it is seven kings of this world current, it is the head one that, that comes out here. He's, he's basically, it's, if you read it in the Greek, it sounds like he is dead, okay, because it says he was healed of his deadly wound, and the word they use there is death wound. Okay, it can be mortally wounded, but it doesn't have that same effect of making himself look like the Messiah if all it was was a just wounded. It appears that he was killed and apparently resurrected. And so this is, this is again a kind of a, a gray area. It can mean mortally wounded or it could mean that he died from this. Because I, but because I think he's trying to make himself look like the Messiah, I believe that it is a death death wound that he got and he died and was resurrected because it made his power power look very good and very strong and and very powerful and then it says that all the world worshiped the dragon and gave it you know dragon that gave the power and worshiped the beast and this is something that is very true every person is given a measure of faith and how we use it is is sometimes wrong. I mean, everybody has faith in something. Even the uh, you know, even the person who says that they're an atheist has faith. You know, they got a lot of faith that they're putting in, pouring into being an an atheist. Some people who are are so much into their work, their whole faith is on getting getting everything that they can from from being a workaholic. And we are designed to worship. What we worship may is not always God. And may not even, most people, many people sometimes wouldn't even admit that they are worshiping. Workaholics are wor worshiping their work. If I work hard enough, I'm going to get everything I want. Uh, sometimes it's the sports. You see people that are really worshiping in, in sports because they can tell you anything and everything about their favorite sport. Uh, there is that worship, and it says that in the end days, they're going to worship the dragon and this beast. And that has been Satan's goal all along, is to get worship. And that's what he's wanted, that's what he's desired, and he's going to see that worship in the end days. And this is going to be kind of interesting. He, he beast is killed, is resurrected, and they're going to go, here is, you know, here's the Messiah. And you look at what they say. Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Okay, now this is kind of sounds familiar in some places because Jesus is given the same thing. Who is like Jesus? Who can, who can win against him? So we're seeing him being lifted up as a Messiah and an Antichrist. He's coming into power. This, this, this person is really the Antichrist. He's the one that's come to power. If it's the, the best of the seven or the last of the seven, whichever, 
whichever way you look at it, he's still, he's coming to power. He's going to be apparently killed and then resurrected. And we're going to see this power coming. We won't see it. The world will see it. And the worship that they're going to give him, the great worship that they're going to give him, and it's all of what, he, all of what Satan has wanted all along. He's going to try to, you know, he's going to appear to eat, uh, Israel is their friend at first, and then he's going to turn against them. And we see this turning against him now as they're, as they're starting to bring worship to him. Because at this point, the Jews are going to start saying, something's wrong. <laughs> something's wrong. This is, not, this is not how this is supposed to happen. And uh, verse 5, And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue for 42 months, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blasphemy his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. So we see his speech. His speech is all of blasphemy. And he's going to attack God with his words. He's going to attack, and it says the tabernacle, which is going to put him to be an enemy of Israel because they've reestablished their tabernacle or their temple, whichever it's going to be. They're reestablishing the worship. And then all of a sudden, he's going to say, no, this is not, you're supposed to worship me. You're supposed to worship me. You're supposed to worship, and he's going to go against God's name, the tabernacle, and all that dwell in heaven, all the, all the, all the angels. He's going to be... He's going to be one that's blasphemy and everything. And you can see this. We see the beginnings of all of this in our day where people speak against God with no problem. We've got evolution. We've got, you know, the Bible's not true. There's no God. All the things that happen from this, he's going to speak openly and draw everybody into. And I believe we're starting to see the, the foundations of this because it'll be when he starts speaking this, it's going to resonate with people. Oh, yes, it's true because they've heard it so long. And there's not going to be any Christians out there saying, no, he's lying, that's not right, it's not accurate. Because we look at how much the church has added salt to this world. Even as bad off as the church is today, we still are a restraining force against evil. Because the, good, the, the church is still speaking out against evil. It's still calling sin a sin. It still has people being convicted. When the church is removed that voice is going to be lost in a, in a great way. Yes, there's the, the witnesses, the 144,000 witnesses. There were the two witnesses. But the actual flow of, of conviction will be very much diminished uh, from having millions of people, billions possibly, all around the world speaking out against sin to just a handful probably centered in, in Israel it will be quite a different flow and the Holy Spirit will be pulled back a bit. He's not removed completely from the world. Never, never buy into the Holy Spirit was pulled completely out of the world because he took the church. Because the, the 144,000 need the Holy Spirit. The witnesses need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always be here convicting men of their sins, but it will not be the same as when the church was was preaching all, all over the place. Uh, and granted, the church has been weakened over the years 
uh, or millennia, and many churches today don't speak the truth, don't speak the gospel, don't don't call sin a sin, don't don't name the blood of Jesus, and they aren't truly Christian churches, but there are still enough Christian churches that it's spoken out, and he's going to be blaspheming everything. And he's going to have the power, and he's going to be looking. You know, number one, he's resurrected, and people are going to go, you know, look at this. This is, you know, and they might even quote some of the scriptures saying that the, that the Messiah was going to be, res you know, killed and resurrected, and and ruled and have power. And we see, when we see what he's doing, we see a lot of Jesus, in in what he does. And he was given power for 42 months, which we've said before, three and a half years. So we're in the second half of. We're laying the groundwork for the second half of the tribulation at this point. Trumpets seem to be part of the first half for three and a half years, and the vials will be being poured out in the second three and a half years. And so we're seeing this split. We're seeing the worst part of Satan. He knows his time is up, and he's starting to fight back and, and trying to make himself be the worshipped one. And we see that he goes... He was given to him to make war against the saints and to overcome them. And if you remember back in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. And it talks about how they were protected for, for a period of time. And now we're getting ready to go into the second half of the tribulation. Now Satan's given power to start overcoming them. And not a good time for those saints. <laughs> then most of them will, most of, we've seen that Israel has already fled in chapter 12. They fled into the protection of the, of the place prepared for them. And now we're seeing any of those who dared to stay out to witness for God are now going to be attacked. And it says that he has the power to overcome them. And then it says he was, power was given to him over all kindred tongues and nations are just a very fancy way of saying the whole world okay so the the beast that came out of the sea in was struck dead and raised again is now going to have power over the whole world and he's starting to consolidate all of his power and show who he is now he may have been consolidating before this but now we're going to see him actually take authority and this will be, we're getting ready to launch into the worst part of all of human history, for, for humanity anyway, because death is going to be everywhere. Now, sin is going to be rampant. No restraining, no restraining people saying you're, you're doing wrong, and people literally getting to do everything to their heart's content in sin because of the restraining power gone. And probably even being encouraged. And we see this even in the education system right now. One of the things they teach you is that the ultimate of human existence is self-actualization, which means do whatever you want that makes you feel good. And I, when I was in my business college, that was taught in just about every class was this whole idea of, you know, and, and this whole pyramid, Maslow's pyramid, is totally backwards from what God says. Okay, everything that God says you're supposed to do, treat others good and be kind to them, is at the bottom, and it's the worst part of his, 
his treatment and you know and he goes you do what's good for you and God says you know that's that's the worst that you can do because you're not you know he just flipped God's word upside down and but this is what they're going to be living if it feels good to you and it makes you happy do it doesn't matter whether it makes anybody else feel good and this is the sad thing that we're seeing in our world today you know and this is why Christianity is called a problem in this world because we put rules out there that says here's God's rules and it says don't do these things but I wanted to do them and you're stopping me from self-actualization so you were the you were the guilty parties your your all your rules are are bad and we're seeing this more and more that the world is trying hard to teach us that there is no rules there aren't any morals and we're seeing laws coming along to try or, or decisions from courts anyway to to tell us that you know don't try to put any rules on us basically and this is where everything is headed in this in this whole picture of Satan's rule and can you imagine a world that is literally just doing what each individual thinks is best for them how many people are going to be hurt because what I'm just going to do what I want and if you get hurt I don't care because I'm I'm doing okay and there's this there's a selfishness in that that says I can hurt anybody who's weaker than me and it is the epitome of the whole evolutionary teaching if 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 we are evolved animals then the strongest should be able to do whatever they want to do to others and there's no moral consequence to it just because I'm stronger and I can make the rules and and do what I want and if you're too weak to, to defend yourself, tough. You know, that is the top line of, the, of, of evolution, the survival of the fittest. And while there is some evidence of survival of the fittest, it's not, you know, this whole idea of no rules for humanity. And, you know, it's been said, you know, we, you know, we teach children that they're nothing but animals, and then we're surprised that they act like animals. And this is what's happening, and more and more people who believe that, and then they start to get into power, and they have no conscience because they are just ruling. We're going to see the epitome of this when Satan starts ruling. And those who have power will exercise that power to do what they want. Verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an, have an ear, let him hear. Okay, so all those that aren't bought blood-bought believers are going to worship Satan during this period and this tells us that there's still that handful of people being converted the witnesses are doing their job there's going to be a handful and they're not going to worship him and we're going to see that and then there's this little warning if any man have an ear let him hear and it is so true this is there are, and I and that a lot of people don't ever hear, and I, I've always found it amazing when somebody gives you their testimony and somebody that you've known, <coughs> you've known for a while, and they go, and I finally heard the gospel for the first time, and you're thinking, well, what about the four times I told you over the last decade? You didn't, you know, but it is true that they didn't really hear. It maybe got into their brain, the seed was planted, but they didn't hear. And sometimes we as Christians can do the same thing. We go and we sit down and we listen to a sermon 
and we go, what did the what did the pastor you know later that day? What did the pastor say? What did, you know what did I hear them say? Or what did the radio program say? You know, and we're just not truly listening at times. And we as humans have this great ability to hear but not hear. <laughs> to actually have the ear hear it, maybe even get it planted in the brain, but have no idea what was said. And so John is, pay attention. <laughs> get, get prepared. Verse 10. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. So this is kind of an interesting statement. <laughs> uh, what it kind of brings out in the Greek is that we are not to, that the Christians and the, and the people following God are not to fight back. And just because it says, here is the patience of the saints. That they are going to allow themselves to be kept, led into captivity. They're going to allow themselves to be slain. And this has been true of the church for for. for the millennia that it, you know, two millennia that it's been in existence, on most occasions the church has just said, "We're going to submit to the punishment." Okay, and I've brought this out over and over. The apostles said we need to obey God rather than man when man's rules contradicted God's instructions. But even in their disobedience. They submitted to the government and said, okay, we're going to do what God tells us to, and we know that you're, you're ordained by God, so therefore, if you're going to punish us for doing what God says, we're going to accept that because you are ordained by God. And this is a hard place to be in. And I've got lots of friends that I talk to, and they're talking about the end days and when things get really hard, how they're just going to go start battling with with the government and all this stuff, and I'm going, I just, I do not read the scriptures the same way. Yeah. Now, I understand where they're coming from and what, you know, what, what they're saying, but I don't, I can't read the scriptures that way. Uh, I would, do, I don't own a gun mostly because I don't, can't see myself using the gun on a person. Now, the only gun that I will ever own if I own a gun would be one to hunt with. And I do want to get guns hunting guns because there's going to be a time when things are going to get difficult and I want to eat. And I like to eat. <laughs> uh, but I can't see myself using the gun on a person. And so and this is something that's controversial. You know, Jesus told the disciples, you know, there, if you don't have a sword, sell what you have and get a sword so that you could defend your family. Uh, so I do understand that there are times when self-defense is important. But we need to make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons. And this verse starts talking again about be submitted. Be submitted to the government. And there's one thing, defending yourself on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but when you're fighting the whole society. It gets tough. It gets tough. And I can understand the, the idea of defending your family. Mm -hmm. And I would defend my family tooth and nail and... and uh, I just don't know that I could use a gun on them. On them, that would depend on the situation. But here in this in this one, the general accepted one is that the, that the believers are going to not resist, and that is where it shows their patience and their faith in God. And we see this all through Christianity how the how people have been martyred over the years because they would just say. I'm going to teach God's word. Even though you say I can't, I'm going to teach, your, teach his word. I'm going to 
bring people to Christ, and then take whatever the, the government brings to the table for them. And this is something that we want to be careful of. It's, there is a time for force. There is a time for defense. But there's also a time to just say, I'm submitted to my government. And especially if you're going against your government, it's time to be submitted to them in spite of how bad they are, how non-Christian they are. And you think about in the scriptures when Paul keeps telling us to be submitted to our government and, and pray for your government and pray for your leaders, the government that he's talking about is the Roman Empire with Nero in control, who's taking, taking Christians, putting them on poles and lighting them on fire to be torches in his garden. Yeah. Okay, and he's saying, be submitted to these guys and pray for them. And so, you know, this follows this verse. God has ordained the governments. Now, in America, we've been very fortunate to have good government for many, for, for the first couple, uh, century and a half, and maybe two centuries, and now we're starting to get a government that is drifting away from God and bringing rules against us, and now we're going to have to make our decision. How do we handle this? And how do we go forward from this? And it's going to be a critical decision time for us because it's going to get bad. And, and we've talked about how it's going to get bad for Christians before we're taken out. And I do believe that we've got another set of martyrdoms coming up in our, in our history. But martyrdom is also something that shows the world our patience and our faith, and it draws people to God. They're going, if they can do that, how can they do that? Why are they doing it? And it draws questions. You know, that we have something that we believe strong enough that we're willing to die for. And this is where this verse is coming from. Verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercised all power over the first beast before him, and caused the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So we see this other beast coming up as a lamb. This one's coming from the earth. This one's coming from the earth, which is more likely to be Jewish, Jewish and possibly Jewish, but if nothing else, to appear to be Jewish. Because this is, this is the one that's appearing to be mostly like Jesus, the lamb. Jesus was the lamb that came to be sacrificed. Here comes the lamb. And so we get kind of confusion in here and how exactly do they match up because the one that took the deadly wound would also be trying to look like Jesus. We have lots of things that are trying to look like Jesus so that if one doesn't work for everybody, the other one comes along and says, here I am. And so he comes up as a lamb with two horns like a lamb. And that again would be two powers. He's trying, and it could very well be, they, it has been suggested that he draws the two major religions together, Christianity, Judaism at this time, and, and Islam, you know, being brought together, the two 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 religious systems. I also heard, I read that it was, could be um, the functions of Jesus, one being a prophet, one being a priest. It's all kinds of different things they try to make, make this out to be. But he's, he's trying to appear as Jesus anyway. Mm-hmm. Whether it's bringing the two covenants, which has been thrown out there, the, the offices, uh, bringing the religions together, it, we don't know for sure. Uh, but he is trying to appear as Jesus, but he still speaks like the dragon, full of blasphemies, full of, of haughty language, uh, you know, that, that language of the dragon, harsh, arrogant, uh, proud, blasphemous. 
And he comes up and he starts speaking all of this evil. And it says there that he causes them to dwell on the earth to worship the first beast, which are already done, but he's going to force it even more. And so this is kind of like, we see here a demonic representation of the Godhead. Okay, we, we're, we're seeing the beast, we're seeing the dragon, we're, we're, but it's also kind of murky because there's so many. You've got the dragon, you've got the first beast, you've got the second beast, and we're going to have the image coming up here soon. So you end up with four different, different things instead of three, and you've got the different pieces that kind of look like Jesus and, and have the, you know, uh, and it, this lamb also has the impact of the Holy Spirit, which is to bring people to Jesus. And here he's forcing everybody to worship the, the, first, the first beast. So you get this, it's a very confused, murky image. Okay. Satan's trying everything he can to make people think that he is the God of the Bible in many ways. And so he tries to make this murky image that we look at and say, doesn't make any sense, but yet at the same time, you can see elements of each of the each of the Trinity parts in, in each one of them. And so he's trying to create his own group. And, and so he's drawn them to be able to worship that first beast. And he's just bringing everything back, everything back to the first beast, which this kind of tells us that that first beast is the somehow an incarnation of Satan, some kind of human demonically possessed whatever image of Satan and um, and then it says in verse 16 and he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying unto them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. Okay. So he's coming along and he's doing miraculous things. He, he makes fire come down from heaven, which is reminiscent of Elijah firing and fire down and the two witnesses who brought fire down and, and were resurrected. So at this point, he's trying to make people think that he is one of them. He's, he's preaching the, you know, that... And then it says he deceives them on earth by means of those miracles which he had the power to do. Again, going back to the picture of Jesus. Jesus walked on this world, healed people, cast out demons. So he's going to be doing healings and casting out demons and doing miraculous things, sleight of hand, you know, possibly sleight of hands, but he has power. And Satan does have some power to do things and mimic things. And He's going to have them make an image of the beast. Okay? It doesn't say what this image is going to be made out of or anything about this image. But in verse 15, and it says, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So this image that they make is going to be made alive in some some format whether it's a robotic image that comes to life but that wouldn't it wouldn't be something I would think that would cause it but I have an idea that it is going to be a demonically uh, animated 
image. Now we can picture that it could be a robot, but it's that in our day and age that wouldn't impress anybody. You know, the robot walking around would not. Like a hologram or something. Yeah, I've heard hologram. I don't think it's going to be a hologram. I think it's going to be more. I believe some kind of image or statue that's been made alive. You know that that we're going to see. Um, because again, he might have thought it was interesting, but this is somebody that's got power. Holograms don't have power. Uh, and it says that, that, he can, that he could cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast that they should be killed. So there is some power in this image that can touch. And hologram, holograms can't touch. I have heard people say that it might be a hologram, especially one particular pastor, and I think he's a little off on that one. I just don't see it being, being a hologram. Um, I can picture some kind of robot. kind of demonically animated image because that would definitely cause terror to to have a rock or a rock image moving around would cause terror virtual reality yeah uh, but it's obviously something we can't fathom and this life here is not the word that is normally used for life it's not it's not zoe and it's not uh bios this word literally just means he has breath put into him. It's, it would, we would normally, it would normally have been put in spirit. He had the power to give spirit to the image, which was also kind of lead to the idea of the possibility of demon possession of this image, because it is spirit, not, not truly life. It's neither, neither are the words for life. Breath, not spirit. Yeah. Well, breath and spirit is usually the same, is translated the same thing. It's pneuma, which means breath or spirit. And so we see that, but this image is given power to, you know, if you're not going to worship it, it kills. Now, how that kills, we don't know. What, what that power is, we don't know. And, but it has a great power. And it says, and he caused all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark on their right hand or in their forehead and that no man might buy or sell save that he have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this is where the mark comes in. The last three and a half years, the mark of the beast. Now what the mark of the beast is, we're going to look at a little bit here. We don't really know, but we do know its purpose. Its purpose is if you don't have it, you're not allowed to buy or sell. And we've got lots of speculation on what the mark is. Uh, uh, let's read the last verse. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of, of a man, and his number is 666. Okay, so we have this mark, whatever the mark is, and there's all kinds of speculation as to what the mark is, but it's to stop you from buying and selling. And we can, you know, it, it used to be kind of an interesting thing. How could anything like that be stopped? Now we kind of understand it, and it makes a whole lot of sense. Part of this mark will obviously be probably a, some kind of magnetic chip that gives your identity and your, and your credits and everything, and you're, you won't be able to buy and sell because it's, it's there. And the funny thing is, many years ago, I heard somebody talk about because so many credit cards are being lost and stolen and everything, they actually fomented that you should just put your credit card number right on your skin, you know, tattooed on your skin so you can't lose it. And so 
And now we see that whole idea not so far-fetched. I mean, if we have credit cards, all you got to do is wave your credit card by the machines anymore. Yeah, and they, put and they can read them. If you don't have any money, you're out of luck. <laughs> yeah. And so we see how this is working its way. The governments right now are really pushing against cash. If you try to do a big transaction with cash, you're going to have federal agents talking to you, where'd you come up with all this money? And, Over 9,000. Uh, yeah, it's whatever the number is nowadays. It keeps going down. It keeps going down, you know, because they don't want you using cash at all because they can't track cash. So they want, the government's wanting you to use credit cards and debit cards. And that's one of the reasons, you know, they say it's for simplicity and ease of, ease of moving the money, which is part, partially true. But all government agencies now are, are starting to make you have a debit card or a credit or a checking account to put your money into because and this is happening all around the world they don't like cash they don't like barter and so we see all the setup for this whole system coming in right now you know we're seeing it there and it's going to make sense when they finally say you need this mark it's going to make a lot of sense you know well you know because we have identity and, and it's just going to get worse. And they're going to say, well, we can stop that. We can stop that. We'll just put your identity right on, right, yes. right on you and in you. Well, and they've talked about, I mean, not just, and this would make it maybe more palatable, they talked about putting all your health information, everything, mm -hmm. everything about you. Right. And if you put that on a chip, yeah. you put it in a person like they do animals, mm -hmm. you know, put a chip. Yeah. So all of that is going to be very palatable. All your information is right there. If you've ever had identity stolen, you're going to go, we can make it real simple because now they'd have to cut your whole hand off to take your identity. And it's kind of, kind of obvious that you've got somebody else's hand. You know, it's, uh, so yes, we, it is going to be very palatable. It's going to make a lot of sense. And, and the Christians are all gone during this time. So it's really going to make sense to them. They're going, oh, the, this be the beast says it's a wonderful idea. We're going to take it. Now, the number 666 is a kind of an interesting number. Uh, there's all kinds of different thoughts and, and, and theories about it. For many years, it was the idea there was an identification number, you know, three sets of six numbers, which would be large enough to, to handle it. Uh, I believe that there's actually going to be a tattoo along with this chip that they're going to put in there that is identified to God. And because the Babylonian religious system is rising through all of this, and we're going to see more of that as we go along, the Babylonians have what they call the magic square, which takes their pantheon of gods, which is 36 gods, and it puts the numbers in order in, in, in a six by six square, and each line and, and column adds up to 111, and so each side and the bottom and the top would add up to 666. Mm. And this number has been out there forever as part of the Babylonian worship system. And it represents their God and their pantheon of gods. I tend to believe that this is what they're talking about. Uh, that it will be because it fits. Babylonian religion is coming back in Revelation and the idea that the, their chief you know, identification mark coming back would make great sense to me. Uh, am I going to argue with anybody who's going to say that's not right? No, because I, I have no idea anymore than anybody else, but it makes a lot of sense to me with the Babylonian religion rising back up in that day that the, one of the great foundations of it will be brought back. So um, 
that is what I can tend to believe it is going to be. It won't matter to me because I won't be here. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, but it is one of those things that I, you know, one of the things that I believe is probably true. And to take that for what it's worth, you know, you can read all about 666. There's thousands of articles on the internet. Some some are interesting. Some are, some are really dumb. <laughs> but nobody really knows what the 666 is all about. We do know that the number of man is six. Uh, in, in numerology, and so three sixes. There's also things where they play with the three sixes, three, three ways that man is displayed through his government, through his, you know, physical, through it, you know. Uh, so they start playing with numbers on that. So it's kind of an interesting, and the number three indicates God, and so that they are saying three, three sixes is man trying to be God, you know. So there's all kinds of when you get into the numerology side of things, it gets. You know, very interesting. If you go out and read articles on this, you're going to see all kinds of very strange articles based on numerology. Uh, and it's not hard to believe that the three sixes would be man trying to be God. I can understand that one because of the way the numbers work out. Uh, and then they start playing really strange games with it. It upsets quite a few people. I, uh, I was going through Albuquerque many years ago. And I still have a gas station. And it came out to be 666. And I don't know how the attendant did it, but he came out, 666! And he, he did something, and he made it 667. He clicked, clicked just yeah. a little, little, yeah. little more gas in the car. Yeah. He was scared. I've seen lots of people who are just paranoid. Um, I worked in a restaurant one time that had the price of a special with the drink. Uh -huh. oh. Just and the tax came out as six six six, and people went crazy because they got a bill for six six six. You know, oh, and it's yeah, like yeah. I've seen license plate numbers with six six six. So yeah, there there's some paranoia, and that's why I say this this that particular verse is probably the most well known, least understood verse in the in all the Bible, and we don't know what it all means. All we know is that it says this is, but he says here is wisdom. It, it seems to us that. When he wrote this to the Romans and the, and the Roman world and the Greek world and that pagan world that he was writing to, they knew what this meant more than we do. And I think culturally we don't know what it means, which again leads me back to this Babylonian pantheon of the God that was out, gods that was out there, which would have been more well-known back then. And so... You know, because there wouldn't have been no idea of you know six six num three sets of six numbers or any of this other stuff. I think that he wrote to an, a people who understood it, and it wasn't because he says, "Here is wisdom. Here is wisdom. You know, you know what this sign is." And the more Babylonian religion has been pushed down, the less people are aware of it. And I'm not advocating necessarily go out and study the Babylonian. <laughs> religious system, but if you do, and I've said this over and over, if you study anything that's non-biblical, however long you spend studying that, spend an equal or more time in God's Word to balance out what you're doing. Uh, because there have been some great leaders who have studied the cult so extremely, and they started out with good Christian doctrine, but they started spending more time in the cults than they did in the, in the Word, and then they ended up getting very strange in their, in their beliefs and their teachings. So 
always, always, you know, and I've said it over and over, I don't need to study Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or, or the Muslim religion or all these other religions to be able to teach them the truth of God because I just teach them the truth. But over the years I have learned about them and I have done a little study, but I've learned very clearly if I spend an hour or two studying the faults, I spend an hour or more, you know, an equal or more time in God's word. And I think that's the most important thing that you can do. It's not necessarily wrong to get to know some of these other, other things, but just make sure that you're balancing it out against the word of God, the truth. Because you can get really confused if you don't. Because you can start getting this whole mixed up and believe me, I've talked to so many people who've gotten mixed up minds and, and even, in, even in teaching of, of God's word, if somebody has watched any Hollywood version of any of these stories, you know, there's some confusion that happens. You, know, you teach the book of Exodus and people immediately will start asking, well, didn't this happen? I go, well, it did in the Ten Commandment movie, but it didn't in the Bible. You know, because they, they take a great story and add all kinds of weird portions to it. And they're not saying they're all bad. You know, we just came out of, we just come out of the Christmas season. Everybody in the world swears that Mary rode a donkey into Bethlehem. Why? Because every movie depicts her on a donkey. The Bible just says she got there. How she got there, we don't know. We know that they were poor and that probably meant they didn't own a donkey. You know, because that was not a cheap animal to own. Uh, so they, she probably did not ride a donkey. Uh, you know, so we have all these things that we get stuck in our mind from tradition, from Hollywood, from, from stories. And we've got to be very careful that we always go back to the Word of God and say, what is true? Why is it true? <laughs> uh, and one of, my, one of the things I will often ask somebody is, is when they'll say something, I go, where in the Bible is that? Tell me where that's at. Because it's important for us to understand. You know, I'll do it definitely when it's not true, I'll ask somebody. But even to a point sometimes, you know, I want people to understand, do you know where what you're quoting is at? Because if you don't, you can't defend it. And so I want people to understand this is what's true. Because we have all kinds of weird things that people say are in the Bible, you know. People will say that the love of money is, is, is the root of evil. They're leaving out a very important part of that verse. The love of money. Money itself is neither good nor bad. But when I love money so much that I want money, more, money, more and more money, I'm going to be willing to sell more and more of myself and do wrong to get it. You know? In America, the big statement, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in the Bible. It's not a bad idea, but it's not in the Bible. Uh, you know, and then the big one, God helps those who help themselves. Again, an, an Americanism, but matter of fact, it's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. <laughs> you know, God helps those who surrender to him. <laughs> uh, you know, so we want to be careful, but yet there are so many people that will believe these things are there because they've heard them stated as if they're there. Our jobs as Christians is to get to know the Word of God well enough that we can say, no, that's not true. Here's what the Bible says. And there's all kinds of places where we want to be able to do that. And uh, so let's go ahead and close in prayer. 
Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for showing the future to us. And Lord, help us to be able to share that with others as necessary, Lord. But this is all out there for the non-Christian to be able to see what's going to happen to them. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.